chapter 13, really going to be talking about some things, that, some thoughts that really spiked this whole parable thing for me, uh, and just going to kind of close it all out with that. We're going to be uh, doing a couple of parables, looking at them in light of, they're kind of a sub-parable that brings clarification to a bigger parable that we've already talked about. Uh, we talked about the wheat and the tares, the wheat and the weeds, uh, several weeks back now. Uh, and just as a reminder, Jesus, God is the one who uh, owns the field. Uh, he sowed good seed. He was questioned because the enemy came in and sowed bad seed. And, and so we know that there's wheat that's bearing fruit. And we know that there's weeds that are also, they're called the bearded darnel, which is a type of weed that looks like wheat. But as it grows and it produces fruit, it becomes obvious that it's not. And uh, the father said, wait and let them grow up together. And at the harvest, we'll separate them out. I'll bring my weed into my storehouse and we'll gather up the weeds, the, the bearded darnels, and we'll burn them in the furnace. And it was all a picture of the kingdom of God that we live in now, as well as the kingdom of God that's going to be coming someday that's tangible. Uh, currently, there are people all through the church worldwide. There are those that are genuine believers and there are those that are playing a game. They're hypocrites. They're trying to look like the real thing. But in the reality of it is, is like the bearded Darnell, they can't produce anything good in and of themselves. So in light of that, we're going to read on here in Matthew 13, a couple of things that I didn't go into that time for the sake of time uh, that I just, I don't know, I just felt excited and wanted to share these two as well. Matthew 13, verse 31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now this morning, continue with the thought with me, if you would, in light of the wheat and the tares that the two are growing up together and that the enemy comes to destroy the fruit of what God has planted and what he's trying to do. But first and foremost, out of this, I, I want to share with you that little things do matter because they have a great impact. Little things do matter. We see in this parable where there's just a little bitty seed, a little mustard seed, and some of you, have you ever seen that jewelry that's got a mustard seed in it? And, and you see how small it is, and it's the smallest seed, and yet when it's sown, it becomes a tree, and it grows up big. Well, the seed is a, is a representation of Christ. The seed is Christ, a small one seed, single seed, sown into this world, that because of the ministry that He did, because of what He did on the cross, there's a plant that's been sprouted out of it. It's called the church. Okay, we are the church, and it's very important for us to understand that insignificant things can be very significant. Yeast is very small, and yet it can be, be, be significant in another way. Young people, teenagers, you're significant. You're important. Jesus, Jesus told his disciples, you think he had this in mind when he told them to, to suffer the little children to come unto him? Because he understands that the little things are important. Why are we doing a Christmas pageant with our kids? Why, why is Carla ministering to Why is it that she took them out of our worship service? Because she said, I'm working so much on this Christmas program that my devotions with them have been cut short. She said, I want to give them the word. I don't want to sacrifice it. Why is it that important? Because the little things are important, church. Little things are important. And, and it's hard for us to fathom 
people to fathom that the little thing that Christ did on the cross would, would turn into such a big work today that you and I are still a part of. People can't fathom it. They don't understand the cross. It's foolishness to them. The scripture says it's foolishness to them. They don't understand why one person died on a cross for me and that has some kind of significance. They seem, in their mind, they make Christ so small and insignificant, but it was through him that we're doing what we're doing today. Our God is the God that takes the insignificant and makes them significant. Think of David, King David, just the little sheep herder that was out back. And, and when, when uh, Samuel come to anoint him as king, his father didn't even go get him because who, who cares? It's just David. It's just David. He's just out there watching the sheep and nobody even really cares about him. So I'll bring my other sons up. And, and finally, that's who they bring in. And Samuel anoints king and one of the greatest kings, a king that was promised that through your lineage would come Christ. Think of King Solomon. He was born from Bathsheba, a woman that David had gotten through an adulterous affair. And we've got our wisest king. The scripture says over and over that, that, it's, that God uses the simple things to confound the who. The wise. Our God is a God that takes the insignificant and makes them significant. Amen? He took a moment 2,000 years ago that mankind would look at and not understand and think to be very small and insignificant, and he birthed a church out of it. He birthed not only a church, he birthed the biggest church. He birthed the biggest faith. The mustard plant's the biggest one in the garden. Did you know that Islam is not bigger than Christianity, even though the news media and everybody tries to make you think it is? It's not. Did you know that if Christianity did not grow between now and the year uh, 2020 and Islam continued to grow at its rate, it would take till 2020 for them to even catch up with us? That's assuming the church isn't growing or that it might shrink. Why is the church, why is Christianity the biggest faith in the world? Because the scripture said it would be. The scripture said it's going to be birthed from one little seed and out of that seed was going to grow this giant plant that would become a tree and it's going to be bigger than all the other faiths in the garden. Did you know that 30 to 35% of our, our population uh, proclaims themselves to be Christians? Why? Because we are a part of something that was once very insignificant that became very significant. Now, we're going to get to the east in just a minute. But not only does it say, it prophesy that we're going to be a part of the biggest faith in the world, it also prophesies that when the plant or the world or the church gets bigger, that it's going to become infested with birds. Birds. I, I thought about this when I came out of Tippecanoe Mall yesterday, or Friday, Anybody else doing Black Friday Christmas shopping? Woohoo! Put your hands down. Wake up. Somebody poke that person because they're probably still sleeping. Got their sleep schedule all messed up. I come out and there's this bush just full of birds. Tweet, 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 tweet. Sparrows in there. And I looked at them and I thought about what I was going to be talking about today. I said, see, Lord, there's a, there's, a, there's a bush full of birds. Listen, what is a bird? A bird in Scripture always represents sin. It represents the evil one. It represents Satan. And Jesus already warned his disciples. He said, look, the kingdom of heaven, while it's on this earth, is going to be both wheat and weeds. They're going to, it's going to be kind of confusing, but both are going to grow up together. Now he's telling me, he said, look, it's going to build the church. The church is going to be nice and big. But how many of us know when things get big and they get profitable, that birds settle in? 
Is that not true? My mom, used, she had, a, she had a, a cherry tree and my grandma had a cherry tree. And any time the cherries showed up on the cherry tree, so did the birds. Amen? Uh, we also had mulberry trees, which I know nobody cares about. But how many of us know that the birds always find the mulberry trees? <laughs> if you don't believe me, park out here. But I remember being a kid, my grandma, I, I loved mulberries. I'd eat them all the time. And I told grandma, I said, Grandma, can you make me a mulberry pie? She said, sure. I So me and Nick, we, she said, fill this pail up with mulberries. I thought, good grief, you've got to fill the whole pail up with mulberries and make a mulberry pie? She said, well, it takes a lot. But okay, so we go down to the mulberry tree, and by the time we got back, the pail was empty. <laughs> so I guess I'm kind of a bird in some sense. I don't know. When the fruit shows up on the tree, so do the birds. And the birds are everywhere, and the birds fly in. What he's telling us today, church is that when the church becomes profitable and the enemy sees an opening, he's going to come in and perch himself. And he says it's going to happen when the fruit is ripe, which means when? In the end times, when it's big enough to bear the weight of the birds coming into the church. Now, birds come in all forms. Birds come in pastors. There's the pastor bird. There's the Larry bird that plays basketball. There's... <laughs> I told you something happened to me from Sunday school. <laughs> there's, the, there's the prophet bird. There's the evangelist bird. There's the teacher bird. There's the pew bird. The pew birds that come in and sit on the pews and perch themselves. You know it's possible that anybody can be a bird. Anybody can be used of Satan to do things that, they're, that, that, that would be unfruitful for the kingdom to steal things for themselves. It's very possible, is it not? Now, here's the thing. Here's the upside to it. You say, well, Pastor Bob, there's going to be birds on there on the branches of the church. That means there's going to be a lot of evil involved. There's going to, listen, even if there's birds that come and perch themselves on the tree, what I've learned from the, the cherry tree in my, in my yard growing up as a kid was they didn't eat all the fruit. There's still fruit. They may do some damage. They may try to harm some things, but there's still fruit. Cheer up, church. There may be a bird that will come and perch itself and try to find some shelter and shade that still wants to do its own thing instead of becoming a branch like they should be. But the reality of it is, is that's just not going to happen. We're going to have to deal with the evil one. We're going to have to deal with evil infiltrating the church. You tell me, has, has evil infiltrated the church as a whole? Yes. And it's going to happen. So we have to arm ourselves, we have to be ready, because here's why. Even that bush that I saw outside of the mall the other day, there was a bunch of birds, and there's probably 100 birds in this bush, but I can tell you what happened. They were on these bushes, and they were fluttering and flickering and, and tweeting back and forth, but what didn't happen is they weren't on every branch. Birds may come into the church, there may be people with bad intentions, there may be people trying to control, there may be people trying to steal the fruit of God, but the reality of it is, is they're not going to be on every branch. Ah, uh, you didn't hear me say that, did you? They don't have to be on our little twig in the Covington area. Amen? They don't have to rest on our twig. Jesus said they're going to come, but here in a little bit, He's going to tell us to guard against it. We're kind of like those trees in the Wizard of Oz. This is new. This wasn't in the first. This, the Holy Spirit just gave this to me. I'm not telling you watch the Wizard of Oz. It's got witches and wizards and all that stuff. But listen, 
You've all, most of you seen it. The thing, they come over and take an apple, and, and he goes, hey, what are you doing to take my apple? How would you like if somebody come picked an apple off you? You know what I mean? They're throwing things. Listen, the church is a church that doesn't have to allow the birds to roost. We don't have to. We don't have to be like the barn swallows that build a nest in the same spot in my, in my front porch every year that I have to knock down four and five times. So Jesus spoke about these things so that we would be prepared. We see the second insignificant thing that became huge, and it was yeast, but it comes in a totally different way. The first one was Christ was insignificant, and he grew a church. Now this one is, is the yeast is insignificant, and it moves through the whole dough. Now what does that mean? It's just a little sin. It's just one click on the internet. It's just one unfiltered search, Pastor Bob. It's just one movie. It's just one conversation. It's just one of these. It's a little bit of sin that works through the whole batch. It's just a little bit. It's just one little thing that works through the church. And Jesus is saying this is what's going to happen. Now the first thing we see in verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like, it is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. The woman. Now what does the woman represent? Now in scripture in Galatians, we've talked about it before, uh, it talks about us being, uh, we need to be a child or a son of the free woman and not the slave woman in the sense that, that, uh, Slow down, Bob. Makes sense. Okay. Thanks, Larry. I needed that. Appreciate that. The slave woman. Okay, church. It's talking about Isaac and Ishmael here. Ishmael being the one that that, uh, Abraham decided to have the natural way to try to fulfill his own promises of God versus the promise coming the way Christ, that God said it was going to. Okay? The woman in this parable is human nature, mankind, taking things and putting it into the lump of dough that should be holy, should be pure, should not have yeast in it, and working it in. Mankind taking his laws, taking his ideas, taking his rules, taking his regulations, his compromise, working it into the dough because it's mine, I want my own things, I want to do my own thing. Now we already know from Old Testament, I have a bunch of scriptures, I'm not even going to read them, I'm just going to explain them to you. If you want to write them down, you can. Exodus 12, 17 through 20. Uh, Genesis 4, 6 through 8. There's a lot of things in the Old Testament that talk about yeast. And yeast is connected with the Passover, which is connected with Israel being brought out of Egypt, which is a symbolism of us being saved out of the world. And then following that, they were not to eat yeast in bread. Now, why would God say, don't eat yeast in bread? And then why would Jesus start talking about yeast a couple of different times in the New Testament? And then why would Paul talk about yeast a little bit later? We'll get to it in a minute. Why would all that happen? It's not, a, it's not by coincidence, folks. It's not by coincidence. Yeast in the Old Testament was a symbol of sin. When you come out of Egypt, when I've taken you from there, and you cross the Red Sea, and I've given you promises, you need to eat bread without yeast. Why do I eat bread without yeast? Because you don't do what you used to do anymore. You've got to leave that behind. It's speaking to us of our purification, our cleansing, holiness, 
to not have yeast. And now Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is going to be full of sin. There's going to be a time where man is going to work in his compromises and his sin into my kingdom and try to make it okay. So Pastor Bob, are you trying to say that the church is unholy and the church is wrong? That is not what I'm saying. I will never ever talk Christ's bride down. That's His bride. Amen? That's a big deal. I feel the Holy Spirit even as I say that right now. It's a big deal to take the bride of Christ and run Him down. I'm going to tell you what. You talk about me all you want to. You leave that woman right there alone. You know what I mean? Why? Because that's my bride. Don't mess with my bride. Mess with me. And if you mess with my bride, you're going to mess with me. You don't mess with the bride. I'm not talking down the church. I'm talking that Christ is giving them an example, a warning, that there are going to be some things that will infiltrate and work their way through the church that are not of Him, and they'll be promoted and moved through by mankind. Frightening. I'm so far off my notes. I was talking about Wizard of Oz and everything else. <laughs> Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew 16. I'm sure this is all going to make sense here in a little bit. Just hang with me, folks. Isn't it like that some weeks with me? Just sit there and go. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I see where he's going with that. I get it. Matthew 16, read this with me. Verse 5. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, It is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it? How is it you don't understand? Sometimes you ever wonder if God looks at you and asks you that question. How is it you don't see this? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now why in the world would he tell them to guard against the teachings? Because teachings work their way through people's lives in the church and they destroy. And he didn't say, beware or be on guard of my teachings. Be on guard against the teachings that mankind has come up with and twisted and added and punched and rolled. Now see, when I was in school, I went through Home Ec and Miss Davis's class. I love Davis. Who in here has ever had Davis for a teacher? She's the greatest teacher on the face of the earth. I can't wait for Alyssa to have Davis for a teacher this year. And Davis can't wait to have Alyssa for a student. Because I already told her. Now when I was in Davis's class, I had, I, we were making yeast rolls. We had our Thanksgiving, oh, thank you, Jesus. We were making yeast rolls, and I took the yeast roll, I took the dough, and my job, in my group, I, I got to do the kneading. That's what I did. So I took the, and I would knead it, and I, and I made the joke the whole day that I was needy. That's what I did. My sophomore year, I don't know, I don't know how I did it. I had two study halls. Okay, there's seven periods in the day. I had two study halls, one first hour, one last hour that I never went to, and I had... I had home ec, I had woods, I had choir, and I had math and English, which explains why I didn't have any study halls my senior year. But anyway, 
Where was I going with that, Pastor? Oh, it's talking about needing things and putting things together and working it through the church. A teaching is worked through purposefully. Come on now. There are some people that I know personally that will work a teaching through a church. Not anybody here. Uh, pastors that I know that... See, this isn't in my notes. I didn't do this the first service either. I have, I have a person that, that contacts me all the time, gives me stuff. Every piece of, of reliable resources that he ever gets, he throws away because it doesn't fit his doctrine. Why? Because he's busy working his own teachings through the church. That's a dangerous place to be in. It's a dangerous church. Why? Because it's an intentional thing. It's working its way through and it brings change and it hurts the kingdom of God. Now, we know that. You say, why, do you, why did I bring all that up? It's very simple in here. To guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. Why? Because people would say, Pastor Bob, if Jesus says it's going to happen, then there's not anything you can do about it. So why, not we, why don't we just accept it and go on? There is something we can do about it. If there wasn't, he wouldn't have said guard. True? You don't guard something that you can't defend. It's kind of like the Colts protecting their quarterback. Sometimes they can get it done, but sometimes they can't. Guard against. Protect yourself against. Don't let it happen. It's going to happen, but don't let it happen to you. Is what he's saying. It's going to happen, but don't let it happen to you. Guard your little branch from the birds, Pastor Bob. Guard your little church from the yeast that moves through and destroys people. Don't allow some kind of a false teaching. Don't let some outsider come in that says, I have a word for your church, Pastor Bob, to not speak it to you first. Don't allow it. Why? Because I've been put here to protect, to teach, and to train, to lead, and to instruct. You have been placed in your own life. To be the priest of your homes, fathers, mothers. Don't let the yeast work its way through. Don't take some false teaching that you've hated for years and then enforce it in on your family and your kids. Guard and protect. 1 Corinthians 5 says this. At a time Paul addresses this church at a time when sexual immorality was going crazy. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Church, there's hope. He's saying, do it without the sin. Do it without the false teachings. Do it without the rules and regulations. Do it without hypocrisy. Work your way through. Throw out the sin. Listen, do we live in a, a nation where uh, sexual immorality is, is working its way through the church? Yes. Come on now. You have to be living under a rock somewhere not to know that one. Every week, every month, I hate to say every week, but I'm constantly, I am so sick and tired of hearing about pastors having an affair. Or pastors sleeping with a teenager. Or pastors doing this. Or pastors in a homosexual relationship. Are you kidding me? You're supposed to be the shepherd. It's because somebody's not guarding against the east. Somebody's not put up a guard. Somebody's not shaking the branches and shooing the birds off. Somebody's stopped and settled and compromised and said, It's all, it's all okay. It's all wonderful. This morning, 
I want to encourage you. <laughs> it doesn't sound very encouraging, though, does it? Uh, Stephen Lehman helped me on this message, and he didn't even know it. And he's here today. So I'm going to give some credit to Stephen uh, sending me an email with a scripture reference that I'm about to read uh, with a joke comment. And then I commented back, and he didn't get it, so I brought clarification to it. Did you get that email back? Okay. Uh, he sent me this email just in reference to a passage of Scripture in here, First uh, Kings chapter 2, verse 5. Now you yourself know what Joab, son of Zariah, did to me, what he did to the two commanders of Israel's armies, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. He killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime as if in battle, and with that blood stained the belt around his waist and the sandals on his feet. Deal with him according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. This is David's instruction to Solomon. And I read it to you in light of this. You say, how do you know if there's yeast in your church? Yeast takes something sweet through fermentation, makes it bitter by giving off CO2 gas, which also is a poisonous gas to us. Carbon dioxide. If you lived in a room with nothing but carbon dioxide, it'd kill you. You wouldn't live very long. You say, why do I say that? Joab was one of these people that he killed people in times of peace. How do you know if there's yeast in your church, Pastor Bob? How do you know if there's people that, that, are, that are yeast? How do you know if people have been infiltrated with this? How do you know? Because they give off a poisonous gas. Go ahead, giggle and get it out of your mind. It's not the gas I'm talking about, folks. Jesus and John the Baptist called the Pharisees brood of vipers. Why did they call them a brood of vipers? They weren't just insulting. It was a perfect insult in reference to the fact of the poison that they were spewing out. They were venomous. There are people that will kill people venomously in churches when it's full of yeast. Even when there's times of peace, how do you know if you've got yeast? Because when there's a peace time, somebody's got to stir something up because they just don't like it being peaceful. They want to insult somebody. Yeast is when we give off poisonous gas. Yeast is when there's a culture change, when there's a shift, when all of a sudden a peaceful church goes to a, peace, a church of trouble. And just like what uh, David said about Joab, he said, don't you let him go to the grave in peace for what he's done. Neither did the Pharisees. And I'm going to tell you this, I've seen people on their deathbed I've seen bitter people on their deathbed before. It's not pretty. Don't be one of them. Amen? Don't, don't be a gas pure. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes it. So what atmosphere does a church need to have for yeast to grow? Here's, this is fun. I know those of you that were here on Wednesday a couple weeks ago got a preview of this, and I, that's fine. And uh, Some of it you heard, some of it you didn't hear, but that's okay. You can hear it again. Repetition is good for us. Amen? Amen. First thing that has to take place for yeast to move through the church is it has... Yeast doesn't move by itself. It's got to be worked through. For yeast to take over, it's got to be needed, doesn't it? You've got to work it through. How does yeast take over a church? Yeast takes over a church when people in leadership positions don't guard against it and they work it through the church. What does that mean? That means... That, 
In a church, there's all these kinds of people. There's the lost. Okay, let me back up. In a healthy church, okay, there's the lost. Should always have lost people here. Should always have visitors coming in that don't know Christ. Amen? Should. They get saved, then they become new believers. Every church should have new believers. Every church. And then every church should have mature believers. If we're all new believers and none of us become mature believers, it's not a healthy church. And then most every church has got hypocrites to some level. <laughs> Isn't that encouraging? So don't be offended by anybody. If you see somebody sinning, they're one of the three. Hopefully it's the lost or the new believer or the hypocrite and not the mature believer. <laughs> it's just true, folks. You know it's true. I'm not pointing my finger at anybody. But everybody's in different levels. Amen? Now, as a leader, as a pastor, when somebody starts taking people and placing them in positions, you don't get the lost person. And scripturally, you don't get the new believer and make him a deacon. Amen? According to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 or 9, something like that. You don't do it. Why? Because they could get full of pride and end up under the same judgment as Satan himself. And you don't hopefully get the hypocrite. But if a pastor is discerning or a leader is discerning or a Sunday school superintendent is discerning and they start placing people in place that are mature believers, it's a healthy church. But when you start intentionally putting people that are compromised in different places, then it starts to move throughout the whole church. Why? Because they begin to influence, they begin to teach, they begin to move, and they begin to compromise in front of people and teach compromise, and they're not holding a high standard. And then all of a sudden, there is no level of standard for people, and, and it's just too late. Okay, all right, that's one. Don't get so excited about it. Secondly, this one's kind of funny. The environment for yeast to grow is, is that yeast feeds on sugar. Amy knows. Yeast feeds on sugar. A church full of people with stroked egos, you're just wonderful, you're just happy, wonderful. Now, I understand there's got to be balance, all right? I'm, I, I know from the pulpit I can be pretty hard and I can say some really bold things. But when I come down, I, I love you and I smile, put my arm around you. That's, that's kind of how a prophet works. You know, you, you bring it out and you share it. But listen, a church that never has a prophet in it, a church that never is confronted, a church that there's never a standard of sin held, and it's all sugar, yeast will grow. I get uncomfortable in those situations. Thirdly, leavening the yeast is best achieved at 80 to 95 degrees which is also known as lukewarm. When Jesus is saying, watch out for the yeast, it means don't be lukewarm. Because if you're lukewarm, it's going to grow and grow and grow. What is lukewarm? It means you're not cold, you're not hot. It means you're somewhere in between. It means you can't decide, I'm going to serve God really good. I'm going to live my life. I've got one foot in the world, one foot in the church. I'm just trying to be happy and even keel, compromise, and just take it easy and do what I'm supposed to do. And he's warning us. He's saying, be careful. And he speaks to the church in Revelation chapter 3. He says, I know your deeds and that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Lukewarm churches, churches that desire just a comfort situation, and I'm glad we don't have comfort in here today. I see some people freezing and other people fanning. So we don't thrive on comfort or sugar. So. 
We've got to have conflict. We've got to have confrontation. A church that caters to a fleshly lifestyle is a church that is going to grow great flesh. Revelation chapter 3 again. Lastly this morning, I'll put you out of your misery here in just a minute. Revelation chapter 3. After he speaks about being lukewarm, Jesus speaks about hope. If the worship team would come, uh, we're just going to close out with some worship here in just a minute. He says this in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He's saying to them, he said, look, I know you may be lukewarm, but there's hope for you. You may be lukewarm, but you can get out of the situation. You can change it. You can fix it. For gold that's refined in fire. Did you know something about yeast? You know when yeast dies? You know when yeast stops growing? When it hits 120 degrees. Think about what I just said. Think about it. You put it to the fire. Yeast stops growing at 120 degrees. Why? Because lukewarm, it grows like crazy. But you turn the heat up in there, yeast says, whoa, 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 whoa. We get out of here. This, this is too hot for me. This is too weird. This is too... This is not my culture. Somebody has changed the atmosphere. And when somebody changes the atmosphere, I can't do what I once did. Have you ever been there before in your personal life? Has the Spirit of God come into you and changed your atmosphere? Has He ever come in and He turned up the thermostat and said, Oh no, we're not going to do this anymore. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for the fire of God. Thank you, Jesus, for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for placing your spirit inside of me to go in and just turn up the thermostat. I used to get in trouble when I was a little kid and do that. But anymore, he said, just keep on turning it up, Bob. Keep on turning it up. Keep turning it up. Go ahead and get fired up. Go ahead and get excited where you're at at work or in, the, in public places or the church. Go ahead and get excited, young person at school. Go ahead. Kennedy, I know you face some things for having a book study, Bible study at your school. Turn up the heat, sweetie. Turn up the heat. Turn up the heat. Young person, turn up the heat. You go pray around your school pole, uh, the flagpole, turn up the heat, man. Turn it up. It may be 30 below outside, but you can be on fire for Jesus Christ. Turn up the heat and you'll be purged. Pastor Sam, turn up the heat in your youth group. It's going to cleanse out and purge out every ounce. It'll purge it. Young people need to be purged, amen? So do old people. We all do. Us birds perched in the pews. We need to be cleansed. And how do we be cleansed? When somebody changes the atmosphere. When somebody kicks it up and you and I can't do it on our own, the Spirit of God has got to come into our life and kick that up. People come into church and they say, wow, this is too weird, this is too Pentecostal, this is too spiritual. You want to know why we encourage tongues interpretations? Why we encourage prophecy? Why we encourage people to weep around the altars? Why we have altar calls? Why we ask people to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because we want the Spirit of God to turn up the thermostat in their life so that sin does not run rampant like it once did. They've been saved out of Egypt and they've been called out of Egypt to cross this river and come across and never to eat bread with yeast in it again. We celebrate because we're cleansed and we don't do the things we used to do. We've been baked by the Holy Spirit. 
fire of God. If you stand with me, there's one other thing that hinders the growth of yeast. <laughs> one other thing. What is it? You can feel the thermostat changing in here already, can't you? What, what is it? One other thing that hinders the growth of yeast. What is it? Salt. Think about it. Salt. Our very first parable that we talked about, you are salt. You are the salt of the earth. You want to know what stops yeast from spreading through the church? When somebody gets saved and really on fire for Jesus Christ. When the church is full of salt. When the church is full of salt, that's why it's not going to grow like crazy. You say, Pastor Bob, what are you trying to say? I get a little bit excited when I look around and I, I'm disturbed by the things I've seen happen in churches around us. I'm disturbed by some of the things I've heard and the stories I've seen of ministers falling and failing and, and church splits and all the nonsense. And I'm excited that it's not happened here. <laughs> why? Why am I excited? Because that means that somebody's turned the thermostat up and left it. And that means we got some salt in the house. Because yeast will come to real salt and when the yeast tries to infect the salt, the salt looks at it and says, what are you doing? Stop it. And it has to back down. People won't get in involved in the gossip and the slander and the trouble and the problems. They won't get involved in all the stuff because they're not interested in that. There's a fire burning inside of me that's bigger than that nonsense. Amen? Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the promises that even though the birds will come and rest in the, in, the, in the church, and even though there's going to be yeast moving through the church and infections and these types of things, all of that kind of stuff, even though that's happening, thank you, God, that it doesn't have to happen to us. Thank you for your promise. Just raise your hands with me. Just thank Him for helping us guard the good deposit that He's placed in us. Begin to just cry out to Him and thank Him. Change the atmosphere. Turn up the temperature this morning. Father God, I thank You today. I thank You, God, for this church. I thank you, God, that you've taken insignificant things and made them significant. God, this may be a fairly small church, but God, I know it may have started at humble beginnings in this community, but God, you've taken something insignificant and you're making it significant. You're making an impact in our schools. You're making an impact in our community. God, you're using this place. You're using people for your glory. You're using homes and families and children for your kingdom. God, I pray that every home represented in this place would be brave enough to turn up the spiritual thermostat. God, I pray for fathers right now that they would become men of God, courageous enough to open up themselves to their wives and their kids, to disciple, to teach, and to train. Lord, help them to be filled with Your Holy Spirit. Change the atmosphere in their lives. Change the atmosphere in their homes.